0: Good morning everybody, good to see you today, good to see you, Uh, this morning we're continuing in the book of Acts, I I just say that every week that I preach now, because we've been in Acts all year, so if this is your first time with us, or if you haven't been uh, here that much, then you'll just kind of see, so far this year we've just been kind of trekking through the book of Acts, Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, if you don't know where it is, and if you don't have a Bible, I believe we have some on the back table, if you'd like to grab one, then you can keep it. But this morning we're going to continue in the book of Acts. We're in a series that we're calling To the Ends of the Earth. Because in Acts 1-8 it talks about how Jesus sends out his disciples. He says he's going to empower them with the Holy Spirit to become his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're in this last uh, stretch of Acts where we're seeing the gospel go forth to the ends of the earth. So we're in Acts this morning, chapter uh, 21. And we're going to actually go from 21 to 22. But this morning, right now, we'll read together... Uh, verses uh, 15 through 26 of chapter 21, if you want to turn there with me. Acts 21, verse 15 through 26. I'll read it, and you can read along. It says, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason and of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands are coming or among the Jews of those who have believed. All will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but yet you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent the letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. Would you pray with me? Our Father, I thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you for uh, this time where you have brought us together to tell us the gospel. Where you brought us together to proclaim to one another Jesus and the good news of the person and work of Jesus. I pray that your Holy Spirit would make the good news, the gospel, known this morning to each one of us. I pray that you would say what you once said as I preach or as I, as we sing together, that you would say to each one of us what you'd have us hear. Lord, move our hearts in a way to where we know that Jesus is better than everything and that all we have is you and it's good news, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody familiar with... Uh, the story, the book, the movie, and of Green Gables? I know they've made a modern-day TV show, and with an E, right? No, it's no good? Well, don't watch that. Maybe read the book, watch the old movie. I don't know. It's by, uh, I think most people are kind of familiar with it. Most of the guys in the room are probably not down with it. I watched it all the time growing up because I grew up in a house full of girls, and I loved it. I mean, I'm just being honest. Uh, so I know all the lines probably from it, but it's a pretty funny story. It's about Anne, Anne with an E. She doesn't like just plain Anne. She likes an E on the end of it because it makes it a more beautiful name. Anne's an orphan. She's adopted by Marilla, and Marilla's brother, Matthew, who live together and have a farm, and they're getting up in age. They need some help around the place, and so they send to adopt for a boy, but Anne shows up, right? They think about sending her back, but slowly they're kind of falling in love with Anne with an E, right? She's kind of quirky. She has a crazy imagination, and she seems to be like really kind of zealous for the dramatic and the romantic. And there's this one particular scene that I remember where uh, Marilla, she's getting a little bit closer with Anne, kind of becoming mother-daughter relationship, and she shows Anne this old amethyst brooch. Like, it's a, it's, it's a personal piece of jewelry. It's something that she really cherishes, cherishes, has some meaning attached to it for her, and she shows it to her daughter, right? When the, after she shows Anne, not too long after that, the brooch comes up missing. She notices it's gone, and so her assumption is that she just showed it to Anne. Anne must have taken it. Maybe she did it on purpose, maybe she didn't, but she's taken it. Either she did it on purpose, or she did it on accident, and then she lost it, Right? But she's pretty convinced that Anne is to blame for its disappearance. And so she tells Anne, you've got to confess, right? Anne keeps denying it, saying, I didn't take the brooch. It was there. I didn't, you know, I, I've not taken the thing. And uh, kind of keeps denying it. But eventually, Marilla just kind of has it and says, look, you're not coming out of your room until you confess. The problem is that Anne had a picnic to go to the next day. And in Anne's mind... Uh, That picnic was like the social events of social events. She'd romanticize this thing into, like, if she couldn't go to this picnic, she could hardly live anymore. Right? And so she decides, I'll just confess. If I confess, I get to go to the picnic, so I'll confess. So Marilla walks in the next morning. She finds Anne sitting up in the bed. She says, I'm ready to confess. And this is just a little snippet from the book. Anne says, I took the, the amethyst brooch, said Anne. As if repeating a lesson she had learned, I took it just as you said. I didn't mean to take it when I went, when it went in when I went in, but it did look so beautiful, Marilla, when I pinned it on my chest that I was overcome by an irresistible temptation. I imagined how perfectly thrilling it would be to take it to Idlewild and play as I was the Lady Cordelia Fitzgerald. It would be so much easier to imagine I was Lady Cordelia if I had a real amethyst brooch. Diana and I make necklaces of roseberries, but what are roseberries compared with an amethyst? So I took the brooch. I thought I could put it back before you came home. I went all the way around by the road to lengthen out the time. And when I was going over the bridge across the lake of shining waters, I took the brooch off to have another look at it. Oh, how it did shine in the sunlight. And then, when I was leaning over the bridge, it just slipped through my fingers so, and went down, 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 all purpley and sparkly. And it sank forevermore beneath the lake of shining waters. And that's the best I can do at confessing, Marilla. Of course, later we find out uh, that it was all a lie, that it wasn't true, that she didn't take it, because Marilla finds the amethyst brooch later. But what was Anne to do in that situation, right? If she confessed to something that she didn't do, she would be in trouble. But if she didn't confess the punishment, became even worse. It kind of seemed like she had nowhere to go. It seemed like her only way forward was just this lie, this confession. And I just want to talk about that different way forward this morning. We have a different way forward. You know, commenting on this passage we just read in Acts, uh, commentator Willie B. Jennings asks this question. He says, like, how do we speak when we're surrounded with rumor or with false words or with accusations and complaints? How do we speak, speak, dogged by a history of our own doing, of hateful speech and action? The only actual way forward for the Christian and for Christianity is testimony. The only way forward for us is testimony. And this is how we find Paul, surrounded by rumors, surrounded by false words, surrounded by accusation and complaint, what way does Paul have forward? What way do we have forward when we're in a similar circumstance, when there's rumors or complaints or accusation against us? Here's what I hope we're going to see this morning, is that all we have to give, our only way forward, all we have to give is the good news of Jesus Christ. All we have to give is the good news of Jesus Christ, and we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to testify. We have to bear witness. We have to tell the truth. We have to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right? Because Jesus changes everything. In the first part of this week's passage, we're going to read a little bit more in a minute. But in the first part of this passage, 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 15 through 26, Paul visits James and the other elders in Jerusalem. And Paul... In verse 19, it says that he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Basically, he went over everything we've been going over for the last several months, right? He went over all the things that uh, we've seen this thus far in Acts. And actually think about it. Luke is there. Luke may have actually got some of those details from this very conversation. I, who knows? So he just relays all these events, one by one, of all the things that God has done among the gentiles and after Paul shares they glorify God for what for the good news and what he's done and then they share with Paul some really good news also of how God has saved many Jews but that there is also some suspicion about Paul and exactly what he's up to right there's some suspicion about what he's been doing the rumors are that Paul's been going about telling not just like taking the gospel and taking the good news of Jesus to the gentiles but that, but that Paul has been going to the Jews all over the nations and telling them that they know that they no longer need to walk in Jewish customs. Instead of delivering the good news to the Gentiles, the rumor is that he's been telling Jews that they don't have to be Jewish anymore. So they suggest that he go through ritual cleansing and pay for a few men under a vow to go through their rites as well. And so if you want to kind of know what's going on there, I, thought, I think it's best just to think of maybe even like the Jesus and the doubting Thomas Right? Jesus and doubting Thomas, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, Jesus didn't have anything to prove to Thomas, right? I mean, Jesus was, he did die, he did rise again, there were wounds, he is who he says he is. He didn't have anything to prove, but he cared deeply for Thomas and wanted for Thomas to be able to trust him. He wanted for Thomas to be able to, to, to enjoy the good news of his resurrection. And so he showed Thomas his wounds, right? Maybe an even simpler Illustration: a simpler way to look at it is like me and my kids at a Mexican restaurant, All right? I like to reach over the table and take their quesadilla and take a bite of it so that I can demonstrate how good it is. Like, I don't have anything to prove to them. Everybody knows that Mexican food is the best food, right? But... You know, I want them to enjoy Mexican food. I want them to trust me. I want them to see, like, this is good. You should have it. From Taco Bell to the finest Mexican cuisine, it's all good. Taste and see that the Mexican food is good. Right? Trust me. There's no skin off my back if they don't eat it, but I want them to enjoy it. I want them to trust me. And so Paul... He doesn't have anything to prove here. He hasn't been going to tell Jews not to be Jewish. He's been going to the Jews first to tell them about Jesus, and then going to the Gentiles and telling them about Jesus. He doesn't have anything to prove. But he is doing this thing on behalf of these Jewish believers, these Jewish brothers and sisters, so that they can trust, so that they can celebrate with Paul and the other elders what God has been doing amongst us, Gentiles how he's brought salvation to the Gentiles and to the nations he wants them to trust that so that they can be mutually benefited in that relationship Jew and Gentile and be one united in Christ we don't really know how the believing Jews took it because things kind of take off pretty quickly from here but we do know how the unbelieving Jews from Asia took it in chapter 21, verses 27 through 36, we see Paul enter the temple on the seventh day and the final day of his cleansing as he goes through this ritual on their behalf. And this is when the Jews from Asia show up and incite a riot. And in verse 29, it says, for they had, they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and so they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And on this assumption, on this false accusation, they incite a riot and a beating meant to kill Paul. That's what it says in verse 31. They drag him outside the temple because to to kill him inside the temple would defile the temple. We can't be doing that. So they drag him outside of the temple and they beat him with the intent to kill. And you know what I want us to see? This is it. Paul gets it. Like, Paul gets what they're doing. He understands where they're coming from, right? Because Paul used to think the same way and would do the same thing. He used to persecute those who he perceived to be outsiders. He used to persecute those who he believed were trying to strip away Jewish identity. He was there when they stoned and killed Stephen. Remember, and he's going to tell us that as we read his speech in just a few minutes. You know how I know Paul gets it and how he understands? It's because in verses, uh, in chapter 22, verse 35, as he begins his speech, this is after the Romans come in, they rescue him, uh, they drag him to safety, and then he's granted permission to speak to the very crowd that just tried to kill him. He says this in verse 3 through 5. He says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. And I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. In other words, I'm one of you, and I was just like you, I was zealous for God like you were zealous for God, and I per- persecuted those who made me suspicious. I understand what's going on. I understand what you've done, and I understand why you've done it. And this is just one of the first things I want us to see. I want us to ask question, like, what if we, like Paul, could look through those who would persecute us? Look through those who would slander us and slander the church, who would bring accusations, true or false, against us. What if we could look through that and get it? What if we could understand where they're coming from? Not because they're right or justified in persecution, accusation, whatever, but mainly because we can see our old selves in them. What if we could relate and understand mainly because we could see our old selves in them? See, I think, and I know... There are times, some distant, some more recent, when the big C church, like just the church as the whole and probably even this church, there's times where we've become so liberal in our thinking, so disconnected from the gospel, right, that we've just ended up assimilating into culture, that we've lost our identity, that we've lost the salt of the good news, that we've lost the effectiveness of the good news of Jesus. And so a natural reaction to that, of course, is to become, instead of on that side of things, to become overly conservative, right? To become overly conservative conservative, so that we guard against those former mistakes, mistakes, so we don't do those things again, so we don't lose the gospel, so we don't lose our identity. We want to be effective, and in so doing, we can also create and have created in the Big C Church, like an equally harmful identity and an equally harmful uh, paradigm it's kind of a thinking that says we can't be anywhere near popular culture instead of the other one that assimilates into popular culture we can't be anywhere near popular culture we can't be anywhere near the secular world we can't be anywhere near them because we'll become unclean and so we can create and have created at times a church versus the world mentality and, and view and we've created a an us versus them kind of deal and there's also been times in the church when the church lost sight of the gospel and idolized things like comfort and idolized things like wealth and idolized things like power and in our idolatry and chasing after those gods we've run over people we've oppressed people and we've enslaved people we've essentially dragged them out of the temple for beating right? So listen, when our own culture looks at the church today and, and accusations fly out about our racism or our homophobia and whatever other kind of hate come, that might, they might see in the church, what can we say? I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong. I'm asking, what can we say about an accusation or any persecution that may come or any difficulty, difficulty placed on us because of things like that? What can we say? I think often on like a corporate level, it's easy just to think, well, like, yeah, that did happen, that was bad, but it wasn't me, right? It wasn't me, I, maybe I wasn't even alive yet, it wasn't me, but what if we looked through the accusation, looked past ourselves, look past proving ourselves for our own benefit, what if we looked through the persecution and saw the cross? What if we looked through the persecution and saw the cross as the great leveler of the playing field? See, the cross says that we were all in darkness, that while we were all yet in sin, he came for us, that we were all captive to hate, we were all sinners, we all worshipped something other than God. So what if we could say, even just to ourselves, just a confession to ourselves, yes, we were part of that. Yes, I am guilty. Yes, We have been guilty. Yes, we have sought to keep outsiders outside in the past. Yes, we've tried to only keep insiders inside. Yes, we've persecuted those who don't look like us. And instead of loving them, we've treated them bad, we've oppressed them, we've kept them outside the doors. And really, we've kept them away from the good news of Jesus because they wouldn't assimilate What if we could say, whether it came from like a fear cloaked in patriotism and biblical faithfulness or or whatever else, what if we could say, yes, we've been guilty. We understand where you're coming from. Now, it doesn't make it right, right? It doesn't make it right that Paul is being beaten or that Christians might incur some assault from our culture. But we can understand. That's my point. We can understand it. If there are rumors and accusations against the church or you that cause some lash out, we should get it. We should understand. But we also know something that they don't. Right? We understand where they're coming from, but we know something that they don't. And that is this. We know how Jesus has changed us. And we know that Jesus changes everything. All we have to give is the good news of Jesus. And we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to testify. We have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what it is for Paul here. He understands where they're coming from because he's operated without Jesus in his past. And he understands what Jesus has done because he has changed himself. And he also knows what Jesus has done because of that. And all he has to give his testimony. Like, he doesn't get up here in a second and give his speech about why he isn't guilty. He doesn't give a speech where he's presenting a way to solve everybody's, uh, in particular, issues and all their cultural divisions. He just gives them Jesus. It's all that he has to give. He has testimony. He has seen. And it's all we have. It's how Jesus has changed us, how Jesus has changed you. So let's read uh, Paul's speech here. It's in Chapter 22, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. He's rescued. He asked for permission to speak to the crowd who just tried to kill him. He's granted permission, and this is what he says. Chapter 22 of Acts 1 through 16, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, ed- educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers... And I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me, and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. We're going to finish this speech in a moment, but let's look at one thing first. Like the first thing I wanted us to see was that we can understand where our accusers are coming from and that our only way forward is our testimony, that Jesus changes everything. And the second thing that I want us to see and understand is what testimony might do. What does testimony do? It tells the story of what happened, right? It's like an eyewitness in a courtroom. It gives testimony. They testify. It tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, even if it seems unbelievable. And Paul, as he speaks to those who just tried to kill him, based on assumptions and accusations that he was trying to defile the temple and trying to strip away the identity of the Jewish people, he gives testimony. He says who he was before Jesus, how he met Jesus, and who he became after Jesus. And this is the second time that we've actually seen this account of Paul's conversion in, in Acts, right? Luke gives it pretty much fully, twice, uh, at the actual event, uh, in the story, and then now. And both accounts are pretty much the same, except in this one, there's a little more emphasis on the light that blinded Paul and when, when he met Jesus. There's a little bit more emphasis on light. He says that he saw light, that he, uh, he talks about how bright the light was, that he couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, and that those with him saw it, but didn't understand the voice that came from it. And that voice, I mean, that that language of light uh, and seeing and not understanding, like the ones who were with him saw the light and didn't understand it, uh, that language of light and seeing and not understanding amongst the Jewish people, right, calls to mind two things. One is found in Isaiah 6 and a couple other places, where God says to preach to the Jewish people, saying... Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And the other thing is, in a calling in Isaiah nine six, which is already quoted in the book of Acts in, in chapter 13, he says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And when quoted in Acts, he says, I will make you as a light for the Gentiles. See, the light, the good news of God, was always, the the light that Israel had, the light that the Jewish people had, was always meant for them to carry it so that all of the nations could see it, to go and take it to them, right? And this, I think, is important as we consider what happens with testimony. As it's meant for Jews to hear the call in Isaiah 6, uh, it's, here, it's meant for them to hear the call of Isaiah 49, 6, to go to the Gentiles. But here's the reality. Some will see it, some will perceive it, and some won't. Some will perceive it, and some won't. Testimony. Witness to what it was like before Jesus and what it's like after Jesus is the only way forward for Paul. And I think it's the only way forward for us. But how did the crowd take the testimony? Let's just finish up what Paul says. Read, uh, we're going to read chapter 22, uh, verse 17 through 23. Follow along with me. Up to this word, I'm sorry. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said... "'Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another "'I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. "'And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, "'I myself was standing by and approving "'and watching over the garments of those who killed him. "'And he said to me, "'Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles.'" Check this out in verse 22. "'Up to this word they listened to him. "'Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks. How did the crowd receive his testimony? The majority of Paul's testimony was actually received pretty well, right? It says they got quiet when they heard him speaking in Hebrew. And then they got even, it says here, that they were listening to him. Like maybe. Most of what he said, they could kind of hang out in, like they could feel the tension, like kind of maybe awaiting to hear some words of hope. Like maybe this rebel is actually a prophet, and maybe he's got the answer that says Israel can be great again, right? Maybe he'll lead us to power again. But the last words of Paul's speech incite fury from a quiet crowd. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And that seems pretty harsh. And it's such a quick flip, right? Like this whole scene is actually really dramatic. Like they're beating him to death and they're like, he's going to talk. And they're like listening to him talk and then like, kill him. You know, it's crazy. It's, It's a crazy scene. But they're quiet, and they're listening, and they're hanging out in the tension for a while. And it even seems like they're, they're fine with the Jesus part. Right? They're fine with the Jesus part. They don't start shouting then. They're fine. Fine. Jesus is Messiah. We'll go with that. Tell us how he's going to put us back in power. Tell us how that works. But as soon as Paul says that he was sent to the Gentiles, as their prophets had always said that Israel was sent to the Gentiles... They say away with him, kill him. He shouldn't even be on the earth. Like they were fine with Jesus, they were fine with the gospel, they were fine with his testimony until Jesus' agenda confronted and conflicted with theirs. And this leaves them blinded to the light. Some will see, but some won't see. Jews and Gentiles, some will see and some won't when we give testimony. Like there's no absolute security. sharing a testimony there's no guarantee that it will lead others to repent and to follow Jesus or that it will make our accusers stop accusing us that's not what this is about as a matter of fact many will be blinded by the light many will not be convinced like even here they can't see that Paul isn't trying to steal away their identity he's trying to tell them they, they have a greater identity and today here with us there'll be many who would hear the good news and be unable to believe. they will be unable to believe that we're not trying to steal their identity, but that we're, we're try, that we're trying to tell them they have a greater identity, that they're more valuable than they can ever imagine. They won't be able to believe that we're not trying to take their personhood. Jesus calls us to have a bigger and better understanding of our identity as it's found fully in him. But some will believe that and some won't. And some will remain hostile towards the gospel because it will offend who they think they are. But also some will see. Some will see and the hope set before us is good. Some will perceive and understand. Some will be transferred from darkness and into light, Paul writes in Colossians. Some will see the light and some won't. But we, as Paul, have seen too much not to testify. That's my hope. I hope we've seen too much not to testify. Have we seen too much not to bear witness? Have we seen too much to not tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about Jesus, no matter how unbelievable or illogical it may seem? Can we also say, like, once... We persecuted the Gentiles. Can we say this in our testimony? Once we persecuted the Gentiles, like we, we once persecuted those, like in the LGBTQ community. Maybe those who've had sex outside of marriage. Maybe somebody who's had an abortion. Or those who don't have homes. Or don't have the right savings account. Maybe we've persecuted those who listen to the wrong music. Or hung out in the wrong places with the wrong people. Or maybe it's not even wrong, it's just our perception of wrong. Maybe we've persecuted people beyond that who we've decided were outsiders and they needed to remain on the outside. But maybe we ought to be going to them. Like maybe we ought to be hospitable. Maybe we understand where they're coming from because we were once once like them. We ought to be going to them, be hospitable. We ought to be loving them like Jesus. We ought to be getting on their turf and telling them the good news of Jesus Christ that they are loved beyond measure by a God who is for them and who has gone out to battle for their very life. Because Jesus went to the cross and Jesus leveled the playing field and we're no better than anybody else. We're not insiders because of something we did. We're insiders because of Jesus. And we're called to walk wisely towards outsiders Paul says in Colossians 4 2 we're no better than anybody else we were once our own version of each and every person who's on the outside and who doesn't know Jesus So we have to give testimony some will see the light and they'll perceive the good news, others won't and they'll be offended and they'll be hostile either way our only actual way forward. There's no getting around it. The only way forward is to testify of Jesus, is to share our testimony of Jesus in word and deed. Colossians 3:17. Meaning we testify with our mouths and we live it out in our actions. That everything we do and say testifies of who He is and what He's done. All we have to give is to anybody. All we have to give to ourselves or to anybody else into this world is Jesus. And we can't keep him to ourselves. If we do, we misunderstand what we've been given. We must testify. So my question this morning is, how has Jesus changed you? How has Jesus changed you? Has he changed you? And maybe you're here and you're not a believer and you're not a follower of Christ, And so I would just, I would invite you, I would ask you just to hear this, that that all we have to give you is Jesus, that we're not really inviting you to do something better or to be like us, we're just telling you about Jesus, that he's all we have to give. I believe that Jesus is better than everything this life has to offer, everything that this life might promise you. That he changes everything for the better. That he's proven himself to be for me. That he's proven himself to be for you. And that he went out to battle. He went to his very death on the cross for you. And you're invited to follow him. To know what it's like to be loved unconditionally. And to be raised up into the person you were created to be. Who you are now. Not who you're created to be. None of us are there yet. Our loving Father is raising us up to be the person He created us to be, a worshiper of God and an ambassador for reconciliation in all the world. And if you're a Christian, I'll ask again, how has Jesus changed you? How has He changed you? I'd love to just challenge you to reflect on this, even through the week and maybe with each other. How has Jesus changed your life? We often talk around here about being Fluent in the gospel. Gospel fluency. And what we mean by that is that we're able to speak the language of the gospel. Not just be able to like lay out the gospel because of how the scripture says it. But because we have experienced how the gospel has changed us. How Jesus Christ has changed our life. We're actually able, we're changed. And so we're able to speak it to others and tell others about it. Not only that, we're able to speak it to ourselves. And it changes the way we live. So how has Jesus changed you? Because you can never testify or give testimony or give witness to something you don't know or haven't experienced how has Jesus changed you what has kept you captive what kept you captive before Jesus what darkness were you in how did he free you in what places do you only have testimony left to give because you have no other explanation for the change I'd also challenge you with this as we close up. Just to consider, where do you still need the good news? We talk about discipleship at Redemption Church a lot. and We say that uh, a disciple is somebody who's increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. That word increasing matters. Because we're not there yet. He is increasingly drawing us to himself and we are increasingly submitting ourselves to the good news of Jesus. So where do you still need to hear the good news? What places do you resist change? What areas of life do you still need him? I challenge you just to like consider that and then remember your testimony and testify to yourself. Like convince yourself to submit more of yourself to him as you remember how he's already changed you. Remember the inexplicable change of who you once were and who you now are. Be convinced That Jesus is better. And lastly, this question. Are you keeping him for yourself? Are you keeping Jesus for yourself? Like, are we keeping him in the confines of this building and of this church? Or are we taking him outside? Can I challenge us just to tell others about Jesus in word and deed? Both. Not one or the other in word and deed. Tell people about Jesus. He's all you actually have to give to this world. All we have is the good news of Jesus. We can't keep him to himself, to ourselves. We must testify. As Paul did. We're going to move into a time of a response as we do each week. And uh, I'm just going to invite you to spend this time in reflection and prayer as we worship God together also in considering those things. like Who is this Jesus we're worshiping and what's the good news that we're proclaiming to one another? What has he actually done? He's good. I know he's good and it's all you have to give. Consider it and lift his name together. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us into worship, uh, into that time of worship. Uh, We'll also take tithes and offerings. There's a plate in the back uh, for those who are members at Redemption Church. That's where we give uh, as an act of worship and as an act of obedience. Uh, And then each week, we also take communion together. So you can come down uh, each of these side aisles. There'll be people serving on each side. You can tear off a bread, dip it in the wine or the juice, representing the body and the blood of Jesus. And when we do this, we're remembering Jesus and we're proclaiming Jesus to one another. We're forgetful people. We forget him all the time. We forget the good news. We forget how he's even changed us. And so when we do this together, we're reminding one another, Jesus is better. Jesus is all we have. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He loved us this much that he went out for us while we were yet sinners, while we were set against him. And he is our Lord and Savior, and he is all we need. So whether you're a member of this church or not, if you're a Christian Christian, we invite you to come and take with us. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you not, not because we don't like you or we want to make you an outsider, but because if you can't say that, we're just saying don't say it, right? But instead, would you hear what we're saying in our action? This is an invitation for you. Jesus is better. He's all we have to give. We remember our Savior, and we're telling you he's really, really good. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for just these few minutes together this morning to remember Christ to remember that your great love for us is all we have to remember how good it is lord like how deep and wide it must be that the creator of all things loves each and every one of us as a child unconditionally and who would raise us into everything he made us to be. Lord, help us to remember this morning how good you are. Help us to remember who we were before you. Help us to see who we are without you. Help us to see how all the idols we would chase have nothing for us and could prove nothing for us because they're dead. But you're alive, and give us life, Lord. Lead us to you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.